This is Women Behind Wool, a podcast introducing you to the female face of the Australian wool industry. Our guest today is sheep farmer Kelly Dowling. And I have to say that Kelly is such a woman of all trades when it comes to sheep and wool production. There isn't much that this woman can't do. She runs a 30,000 head superfry merino wool operation in partnership with her mum and her dad and her brother at Dalton near Gunning. And she's actually almost my neighbour. What we love about Kelly's story is not only that she is just a classic, no fuss, high achiever. I mean, she's in charge of um, all of the wool classing across all of her operation, all stages of sheep husbandry. She looks after genetics, um, general maintenance. When I saw her, she was uh, chopping up pipes or something for their new shearing shed she does the bookkeeping she cooks for her family she's a mum and she does a little bit of advocacy whenever she can get the chance because she's so passionate about the wool industry and we also really love that she's never been too fussed about the feminism side of things she's just always even though she is a woman doing great things in the industry she's just seen herself as just kelly and not not a woman and maybe that's why she's achieved so much as a woman behind wool and the other thing is because she's had a hand in so many facets of wool production there is no better person to answer your questions thank you for those of you that did reach out to us with your questions on instagram kelly will answer them in the second part of this interview i hope you enjoy Hi, I'm Kelly Dowling. I live at Coolong Dalton in the Southern Tablelands of New South Wales. I live with my husband and my son, Ned, and we um, grow super fine pole merino sheep over a number of places. So let's talk a little bit about, about you and we're going to ask lots of questions of you, lots of sort of um, simple sheep production questions a bit later. But yeah, you said that you run this property over, um, you've got a number of properties and um, a huge quantity of sheep. What is your main role? So I'm a partner in our family business with um, my mum and dad and um, now my brother. Um, I've been home for 22 years. Um, My mum and dad, when I left school, wanted us to have 10 years away from the farm to um, go and university or whatever we wanted to do to learn a bit about ourselves and to make sure that if we did want to come home to the farm, that it was the right thing to do and we were passionate about it. And I think I lasted nine years. So um, came home in um, early 2000 um, and pretty much my role... um, from the start has been sort of sheep husbandry, um, the whole sheep cycle throughout the year, classing, um, picking the genetic direction of where we were going with our wool and basically um, general maintenance like today I've been labouring building a new wool shed with, uh, with the team. So um, it's always different what I do but the cycle is pretty much the same every year. What did you do in your nine 
years away from home. I went went through the Australian Defence Force Academy in the Army, so a little bit unique, um, and where I was uh, officer training. Um, and when I left ADFA, um, I did a little stint at Auctions Plus, so I sort of went back to rural and then joined the Elders, Elders Graduate Program and travelled a bit of Australia and then settled in Mudgee as a district wall manager. And you were one of the first females to get that role. Is that right? I think so. I remember doing an article, um, yeah, I was 20, yeah, 23 or 24, and, uh, yeah, elders uh, had never had a female before, and I don't know whether any other broker had, but, um, yeah, I was certainly one of the first. So what was it like? Tell me a little bit about that job and being a female and um, whether that mattered or whether you just kind of cut through it because you knew what you were talking about. Look, I suppose I've always been passionate and positive about wool from day dot. So elders gave me a really good grounding of the whole process. So not just being a grower, but it gave me the real understanding of processing and marketing and where it all ends up. So it was, yeah, fantastic um, way to, or a job to do before I came back to the farm. And I, look, I have never viewed... Um, obviously in the army and the rural industry, I've never viewed myself as a woman in a male-dominated job. I have just always viewed myself as being Kelly and you do the best you can you know, be and do um, and no one then can judge you either way. Like, I'm, yeah, just yeah, strive really to be the best I can be. So do you reckon that attitude has made it easier in some respects? Yeah, definitely. I... I, I've never felt pressure by being a woman. If anything, it's just been an opportunity. It's, um, you know, I've had some amazing mentors through, you know, my journey so far, um, both men and women. I don't, yeah, it certainly hasn't been women fostering me along. It's just I've found my own path. And so when you were at school and told that you needed to do your obligatory 10, 10 years away from the farm, did you fully believe that you would branch out further and maybe not come back? Yeah, that's prob- probably right. I sort of, um, the army was sort of a stepping stone to, um, I love leadership and um, I loved economics. So I had the opportunity to do economics degree and sort of the leadership and that sort of, um, but there was always a calling, I think. I think farming was in my blood. So as it sort of went further on, I realised that I was missing that connection back to something and that was like our business here and the farm. So taking it way, way back, what, do you, what is that connection? Like what are your, some of your fondest memories of growing up um, within this sheep operation? I just everything. I suppose the um, opportunity to have all this space um, and have livestock and dogs and it just all adds to wonderful memories and a beautiful lifestyle. And you know, wool gave us the opportunity to go away to boarding school and then gave us the opportunity to really push ourselves to you know do whatever we wanted to do. Um, so it's given. The farm's definitely given me opportunity and then I've probably now given back to the farm so I can then pass it on and give the same to my son and my nieces. So you see, you have, tell me about that, what, what kind of a future you see for, for wool and why 
you believe you can still do that? I think we're only just touching the surface, the surface of what wool can achieve moving forward. You know, the old adage, you know, we Australia grow on the sheep's back is very true. And But I actually think that it has so much potential moving forward, like the natural fibre in a world where we're becoming all more conscious. Um, I just think, you know, it's endless where it can go. Yeah, me too. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's such an exciting space to be in. So really simply, what is it that you love about wool as a fibre? Uh, I actually sat down to answer this question, Sky, and I actually filled a couple of pages. <laughs> Did you? So it's really, it's such a complex fibre and it's challenging to get it right all the time, especially in a, an environment where it's, you know, unpredictable at times. So it's not always easy to master the greasy product, but that makes it really exciting. Uh the, the actual fibre, like obviously I grow it and I wear it and I sell it to um, all my friends constantly. Just the, look, just the, the natural fibre attributes of it being a fire-resistant product, like it doesn't burn, I think it's 700 degrees Celsius or something before it burns wool. So it's just, yeah, I mean that, you know, attribute in itself is just amazing. Um, you know, the elasticity, the absorption of moisture. So in sporting wear, like I think we really haven't even got close to what we can do with wool there. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, a great product. It sounds to me like you really love the technical side of things. Like some people are quite emotional about wool and they're like, I just love the the feel and the touch and how the sheep look in the landscape and those kind of things. But it sounds to me like you like a little bit bit more of the um, ins and outs and the nuts and bolts. Yeah, definitely. And I've been lucky enough to actually travel through China mills and um, Italian mills. So I've actually really got to understand, you know, from the greasy product right through to that retail end, which is pretty exciting to follow that product through the process. Do you sell, you you don't do any direct marketing of your wool, do you? So in the near future, I think there will be a little bit. It's never going to be a massive amount um, of our product, um, but we definitely are sort of moving down the path of uh, yeah, economically stable product and selling that and tagging it and et cetera, et cetera. How exciting. How does that come about for you? So it's just a real push to maybe get into a few little niche marketing options um, just to sort of diversify that risk of um, our wool. Yeah, so it's sort of, you know, um, hopefully this year we'll produce seven, 800 bales of superfine wool and it's just trying to create some niche markets, um, you know, to lock some in maybe it's times or, um, but just give ourselves a few options. Um, and why do you see that as important? I really think that the consumer's starting to get a little bit um, savvy about where their fibres are coming from and they want a story. So the only way we can sort of start selling our story is by actually creating a marketing chink, uh, link to the consumer. So if we can sell our story and say how wonderful we are as farmers and tree plantings and share our journey, 
you know, we know we look after the sheep the best we can, but we need to sell that to the consumer so they can feel just as proud of their product as we do. So one of our um, new um, marketing um, assurance programs will be about sharing our day-to-day happenings on the farm, like building new laneway and sharing that or, you know, the sheep coming in for classing or thing. And it's about giving a picture really, but with a little story behind it so they understand it. As we start selling that story, that will be connected to that article and come out on the tag at the end. So it's through a QR code that's on a swing tag on a garment? Correct. Very similar to what um, Country Road have been doing very, very well for the last year or two. Like it'll be a global, probably a global company because they're the ones that are really connecting back to the fibre. So, Kel, what's your favourite part of the sheep, the yearly cycle? Probably the one that um, gets my head working is classing sheep. So I objectively class and subjectively class. So I like the technical and the, you know, the, the subjective part of classing. And then I love classing. I still do all our own wool classing in the, uh, and I still love that. Can get a bit monotonous after our six week shearing, but um, I actually. Yeah, I love it. I love the wool. I love every fleece. I love seeing it and, yeah. It's such an element of control too. Like if you're classing that much wool, you know exactly where you're heading and what can be tweaked. Yeah, just I'm keeping on top of what where the genetics that I've sort of done, you know, the year or two before, I get to see that in reality and then I can sort of make changes if need be. Can you tell me what's um, objective and subjective classing? What's the difference between those two? So every single young sheep, I fleece weigh and micron test in their first shearing. So um, basically, and then I can then index those sheep from one to the end. And so I can pick out the top couple of percent and then I can take away the bottom 10 or 20% um, and then I can coordinate my breeding based on that. So but what I want to do is find the most profitable sheep um, and the way I do that is by yeah, objectively testing them, micron and fleece weight. Subjectively is looking at the sheep as an individual, its hooves, its structure, its frame, um, size, wool on the head, like a number of things. Yep. So you rate them from one to however many in individual order pretty much yes yes so we always know our number one um drop you and a number one drop weather or ram um yeah so it's just quite exciting Mm. um what's the best thing apart from classing about about what you do Every day is, um, can be so different. No one year is, you know, the same to the last. So for me, it's challenging, it's diverse. I'm outside um, and I'm not inside because an office job would not be for me. And what do you hate most about it? <laughs> That's easy, book work. So I look after all the books um, and I probably, it's my worst job. Yeah, book works and bureaucracy. How on earth do you even have time to do the bookwork as well? I don't know. Uh, weekend, so my husband and son don't get to see me.
So Kelly, we are going to do the second part of this interview just a little bit differently um, because we've put it out there to the crowd um, asking them for some questions. Any questions, the good, bad and the and the ugly and they've come back with some cracking questions and because I think that you are a woman with many hands in many pies in the wool production cycle so I reckon you can answer them for us. So... Our first question is, uh, what's the general routine of a sheep farmer? I think, Sky, that uh, the general routine um, obviously varies throughout um, the year depending what um, task we are doing, but it often starts very early in the morning um, and during busy times like shearing and crutching, you know, that's long days, but there's always something different um, as a sheep farmer. You, um, you know, can be out in the paddock, you can be fixing fences, you can be building new yards. Um, the, it's just very hard to put a simple story to being a um, sheep farmer and the routine of it, but it always changes. The next question is, how many fleeces do you reckon it would take to make one jumper? Good question. Yes, good question. Um, the best that I could come up with is that if you imagine one sheep has five kilos of greasy wool, um, then I believe once you clean that, you're probably left with um, three to three and a half kilos, depending on the yield. Um, and then from that, you would probably make 10 to 12 jumpers per sheep. So a lot of um, fabric or yarn can actually come from just one sheep fleece. Yeah. So you said that you reckoned about one jumper would be about 300 grams. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so I would I would say that most um, sort of lighter, ultra-fine, super-fine jumpers are sort of around that 300 to 500 grams. Um, and maybe some of the heaviest um, knits would um, be a little bit more than that. But I would say, yeah, around 300 grams. And do you think that it is uh, gram for gram? So after it's been after the fleece has been washed, that yeah, three hundred grams does of wool does actually convert. Look, I would say um, nothing gets added to the fibre unless it's a specific, um, you know, something happens in the processing. But in most cases, it would be um, yeah, gram for gram at the like on both sides. But don't hold me to that. Mm-hmm. The next question is, and it's such a good one for you, what in your mind makes the perfect fleece? Well, I would um, love to think that I've grown the perfect fleece, in, but I'm not sure yet. But what I aim for is um, the lowest micron that I can produce, um, so the, the fineness, the softness. So that's probably the first thing. The second thing is um, the fibre being sound so it doesn't break. Um, because obviously that has implications for the processing side. Um, So they're probably the um, two key things from me as a farmer, but uh, also the alignment of the fibres and the curvature. So the waves um, in the wool, um, the more uh, aligned they are and the curvature sort of being um, like a wave, then that's um, a really good quality. It would be fair to say that any one given fleece, there's no one, there not one would be the same. 
No, there's a there's um, sort of changes all over the sheep. If you imagine the back is different to the sides, as as it different to the front. So, um, it's trying to class the wool the best you can to make sure that they those fibres are as similar as possible to each other. I think this is a good question because we take this for granted. And it is. Do you have any, do you have to do anything in particular to the sheep to make the fleece a better quality, or do you just keep them well fed and well watered? Look, a very big part of it is sort of best pack practice husbandry, um, but there's also a lot more to that in the sense of internal and external parasites. Just making sure that um, they're healthy um, and that they're getting all the trace elements um, that they need. So I suppose there's a lot of monitoring of sheep um, and it can sometimes be as simple as um, driving through the mob, making sure they, you know, all look good. Um, But it can also be using technology like worm testing where you actually know what's happening inside their stomachs. So that's really important. I spend a lot of time worm monitoring. Um, So it's, yeah, there's a lot of things that need to happen apart from food and water. Yeah, so it's not just set and forget and bring the sheep in once a year to be shorn. Definitely not. And, and you know, and there's also an aspect to that is the genetics. So where you're heading with your breeding. So that's really important that you're always continually following, you know, how your sheep are breeding and where you're going to. Why do some jumpers feel scratchy and some feel silky and soft? And I think everyone can relate to this especially if you're a a child growing up in the in the 80s and the 90s and even before there's probably two components to this sky the first one i would say the quality of the greasy wool um being used is um very important um but i'd also say the processing and the blending that they do is also another component of this and the lower the micron the softer the product should feel generally and so most of Australian merino wool is very very soft we grow most of the world's um, you know finer merino and so you know most of our wool should be feeling soft especially with the processing um, ways that we have now Um, but in the past there's certainly been jumpers that probably shouldn't have been made into next to skin jumpers and were a bit itchy but I think they're really you know as long as they focus on high quality merino wool and um, they do really good processing blends and I think the Italians are probably the best at it they've mastered making the cake so to speak if you imagine a cake being baked there's lots of components that go into making that cake right and I think the Italians are probably have mastered it in time making tops and obviously they don't put all tops together with all fleece walls so they actually mix it with you know skirtings as well and they try and get that blend to make the most financially beneficial top but also to um, keep the quality at the top level and one that is sturdy as well it has good strength yeah so obviously how the top turns out is all about what they put in to that cake mix i like the cake analogy um what is the process of getting the sh- from the wool from the sheep and then made into the jumper. So obviously we have 12 months of growing our beautiful product 
um, and then it goes off to auction or is sold by whatever means. And then it uh, obviously has to go and be shipped because we don't do any processing here in Australia anymore. And obviously it's um, cleaned, combed, spun, um, and you're probably looking at a 12 to 18 month period from the time the wool leaves um, the farm to when it actually ends up in a retail shop. So it can depend a little bit on the fashion cycle, uh, you know, season, but um, you're generally looking at 12 to 18 months before you'd have that product on a shelf. How long does the processing time generally take, like once it's in the mills? I think once it, once it's in the mills, it pretty much um, depending on whether they've got their batches ready to go forward, um, but it doesn't take long. It's probably only a week, I imagine, to actually have the wool get to each section. Is any stage of wool processing still viable in Australia? Well, I would say unfortunately not, and I think it's because of our cost of labour. Um, I, yeah, it's very disappointing, but I also know that um, for a product to be viable, you have to have the lowest possible costs, and you know our labour costs are just too high here, unfortunately. And am I right in thinking that there's one uh, processor? in Geelong in Australia or is that one not operating anymore? Uh, the last I'd heard, no, but there may still be a scouring plant um, in Geelong, but I'm not sure. How well does the wool industry take up new technology? Good person to be asking. Glad I'm not asking Dad. Look, I, I think personally for myself, I think we're really good takers up of technology and we're quite innovative in trying new things. You know, we have cameras over one of our farms that looks um, make sure that water is everywhere. So I think we definitely use the technology. I don't know whether it's over the whole industry, but I think it definitely is. There's a really young generation of wool growers coming through and I think they're pulling, they're pulling that through. So while the industry probably has looked a little bit slow at times, I actually think we're probably getting on the right path and, uh, and, and also in the processing, which is probably more important. So the, the, the machines and everything are the most up-to-date and the most efficient. And I think that's definitely starting to happen too because if you want to stay in business you pretty much have to use the technology available to you. And also, as you were talking before about your marketing, um, your data set is so important these days. Yeah, look, data is so important. So basically every single sheep has a number on my farm, which is a lot of sheep. <laughs> and the basically I know when it was a one-year-old what it uh, – the fleece weight and the microns. So that's information and data – that you can follow through um, through the cycle of the sheep. And it's pretty important to be able to um, utilise that to make the most profitable, you know, point that you can. How do I clean wool jumpers? How often should I do it? And is three days normal to dry a jumper? That's a really great question. I would say I'm probably pretty slack at cleaning my wool jumpers, um, but usually I do them once a uh, winter. So, and I 
throw them in the washing machine, bar a few sort of specialty ones, but throw them in the washing machine and then I air dry them on a clothes horse, as simple as that. And they certainly shouldn't take a long time to dry. And yes, washing machine is, um, yeah, fine. With your uh, specialty ones, do you hand wash them? Yes, I do. I have a couple of yeah, really ultra fine ones that I hand wash and just yeah, hang them out in the clothes horse and yeah, they always come back to shape. I probably never hang them up, but they always come back to shape. What is it that makes wool cooler on your skin in summer and warmer for you in winter? Hashtag Wonder Fibre. <laughs> well, it is a Wonder Fibre. It's very, very clever. Um, so it's an active fibre. So basically it um, regulates or reacts to your body temperature changes um, because the protein that's in wool is the similar protein that's on the outer layer of your skin. So it's actually working in harmony with your own body. So it's very, very clever. So it breathes and then it also it can absorb sweat and do a whole heap of thing which helps regulate um, the body. You also have something interesting to say about the cell structure of the individual fibre and how this helps with that. So the fibre is um, basically a scale, it's like a fish scale fibre that runs down and this, ha- this is what actually causes it to be able to absorb um, and I think actually that's what manip- is changes in the fibre. So, yeah, it's a scaly, um, it's hard to talk about it because yes. of what it looks like, yeah. I mean, obviously it's so minute, but it's, yeah, there's scales on the fibre. And that would be different to other kind of fibres, is it? Not every fibre has that? Definitely. And I think that's what gives it the strength because it's one of the strongest fibres. So I think that's one of the reasons that's so interconnected with scales that, Yeah, not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure that that's right. Love that. Is wool less flammable than other fibres, making it safer for bedding options and children's clothing? Well, one of the wonderful attributes of wool is that it's fire resistant and it doesn't have an ignition point until six, seven hundred degrees Celsius, which is just incredible. And also it doesn't melt, so it'll smoulder but doesn't actually melt, which is pretty important. And I'd much rather have my kids in um, wool, um, especially in their pyjamas or bedding, because basically you've got a product, instead of wearing synthetics and plastics with oil, um, which melt and stick, I mean, it's just, yeah, a no-brainer when it comes to um, wool with kids. Where Where is wool sold in Australia and what state does it get shipped from? So there's three selling centres in Australia, Sydney, Melbourne and Fremantle. Um, Wool is actually stored in a lot of regional areas right throughout Australia and and the auctions happen in those three cities. And it just depending where the wool is going and where they can join it all together, but it happens in ports right around Australia. So it can be Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide or um, Perth, Fremantle. What does crossbred wool get made into and maybe if you can explain what crossbred is. So crossbred is um, a much coarser fibre 
Um, and basically what crossbred wool is used for is hard wearing products. Um, so the very broad of crossbred is often made into carpet, but then you can also come down into upholstery fabrics, curtains, and then they also do use it in uh, insulation beddings and things like that. But basically it's uh, it can actually be used in a fashion jumper or coat, um, but uh, not as often, and it often is the lower end of the crossbred market. And but not to say that it's not an important part of of the of the cycle and the chain. Oh, it's look still really important, and it's um, just because it's broader doesn't mean it doesn't have a purpose. It still has all those beautiful attributes, especially in carpet and fabrics. Um, it's just that it's um, yeah, sort of has a different role. You wouldn't really wear it next to your skin. No. Um, how do we get involved in the wool industry? I thought this was a really good question. And I would say the first thing is go and buy a jumper, wear it, know how wonderful it is. And um, hopefully there's some connection that you might see on the swing tag where you can actually make a connection via social media and actually see where the product is grown. Um, But that would probably be the best way to get involved is buy it and love it. I just think it's so amazing that grass produces wool. You look at grass on the ground and, and what sheep can, how they can convert it. It's just incredible. Yeah, and you think about that um, wool is made up of 50% carbon seque- um, sequestered from the atmosphere. So, and then if that wool product is used for 20 or 30 years, that carbon is 50% like is in there and is, you know, it's a great product. And totally biodegradable. It can go back into the cycle again. Yes, that's right. Kel, thank you so much for your time. You are very busy in the middle of building a shed and doing every other thing on on your farm. So thanks for taking the time to help us out on Women Behind Wool. Yeah, no worries, Sky. Very passionate and positive about wool and uh, where we can take it into the future. Thank you for listening to the Women Behind Wool podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please help us to spread the love for wool. You can share this episode on your Instagram stories. And if you subscribe to iTunes, a fresh episode will be waiting for you each Monday morning. Our website is womenbehindwool.com.au. Stay warm and rugged up in your wool and we'll be back with you next week.